You're listening to Education Experts with EDX Education. Education is evolving. Join Heather Welch from EDX Education chatting with teachers, psychologists, parents, authors, creatives and other talented experts to keep up with the trends and what's happening from around the globe. This podcast series from EDX Education discusses home learning, school readiness, being creatives, changing in education, discussing what's next, hands-on learning, or as we like to say, learning through play. Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education and today I'll be in conversation with Latasha Sims, education expert and founder of 3LLC Education Consulting. Latasha has had more, more than a decade of international education experience. She's been facilitating, designing and developing higher education across Southeast Asia. Her research interests include student needs analysis and best teaching and learning practices. Today, we are chatting with Latasha about providing education for all and her journey for founding 3LLC Education Consulting. Welcome, Latasha. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for having me today. Oh, oh, it's wonderful you could join us today. Now, can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them about your passion for education and providing education for all? Sure, no problem. My name is Latasha Sims. I am the founder and owner of 3LLC Consulting and Services. After graduating from Central State University in Ohio, uh, I moved to South Korea and I began to educate on behalf of the Seoul Metropolitan Office of Education. Uh, whilst living in South Korea, I earned a master's degree from uh, the Yonsei University Graduate School of International Studies and also lectured at various higher education institutions. Also, while teaching uh, for the um, higher education institutions in South Korea, I was able to earn a graduate degree uh, in international relations and educate over uh, 1,200 undergraduate ESL students in one of my massive open online courses. So my my passion for education really began as a service to students. So I am the oldest of three. Uh, so, you know, leadership is kind of in my blood. And, you know, uh, becoming a teacher, you're kind of always in the role of being a teacher when you're the oldest. You know, you have to be the example and things like that. Uh, so that I pretty much turned, you know, my position in life and my passion for education into a mission to provide equitable education for all people. Uh, and when I say equitable education, I mean e- education that allows you access to opportunity, to skills, to time management, to representing yourself well in a written form, uh, to being able to manage yourself financially. So that's what I mean when I say equitable education solutions. So our commitment uh, is to providing equitable education solutions that allow people access uh, to opportunity that can possibly change their uh, positions in life. So it's real life education is what people need for real life experiences, or even if they've got certain skill sets just to get them ahead in different skill sets. Is it sort of short courses is what we're looking at here? Well, long and short courses, we offer up to six lessons for short courses, up to 10 lessons for longer courses, more academic, uh, higher education kind of courses. And basically, Uh, What we focus on uh, when we are creating the courses is the content that is already available, or if the the client or the student already has something that they want to learn, we can design the course for them around um, quality matters, 
of standards and rubrics and education design principles. I can take my years of education and experience and turn that into a service. And that is what we've done with 3LLC Education (laughs) and Consulting. I have to ask, when did you start 3LLC Education and Consulting? July 2020. July 2020. So is when I officially began the company and then we launched uh, July 2021. Oh, wow. Congratulations. It's exciting. Can I ask you, with everyone, um, you know, it might be a little bit different in Ohio, but, you know, everyone around the world has had different experiences over the pandemic, but a lot of us have been working from home or, and wanting to do something different. Have you found that you've had more of an uptake in courses like this than you expected? Yes, I think that people are really tuned into what a 21st century skill is, you know, they are seeing that there is a difference between theory and practice. Uh, what you learn in the classroom and the practical skill that you learn in order to apply to help yourself be successful. They, these are two different skill sets. Absolutely. Basically. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, listen, before we go too far in, I have to say now, South Korea is not usually the first choice for everyone to move to. I mean, I've been an expat for a long time and I've we've moved mm. around to Dubai, Singapore. I've moved my family around. So how did you end up in South Korea? Your, is it, was that your first job ending up over there as a graduate or had you worked yeah. first? And do you have a fascination? No, was, I graduated from Central State in May 2008. I was in South Korea by the end of August. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so was it just an opportunity that came up? It's not somewhere you've always wanted to go. It was just this opportunity and then you end up in South Korea. Yeah, no, I, me and my family, we definitely did like, you know, a lot of prayer about it when the opportunity came up. And, you know, at the time when I applied for the opportunity, I didn't even have a passport, but things worked out really, really well. And I ended up working in one of the best situations that I could have been in. In South Korea, I was in a building full of foreigners. My school was right down the street. Uh, We had brand new apartments. It was a salary job straight out of undergrad. It was, it completely opened my mind and my heart up to the world. And I just haven't looked back since. I go back home. Uh, once or twice a year but I just I, I, I at that point I will say that Korea helped me broaden myself to the point where I consider myself a global citizen and I have just been kind of adapting and journeying since then Oh, I love that. I always call my 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 children global citizens because one's born in Australia the other one's born in Dubai and now we live in um uh sorry the UAE now we live in uh we live in the UK so I always say we're a little bit we're a little bit mixed up over here as over here but well did you have a did you have time to travel so how long were you actually in South Korea because you were in China and South Korea so when did you move over to China so I moved over to China in uh 2015 I was a English language fellow for the U.S. Department of State for two years uh, in Chengdu, China. So for those two years, I basically traveled around uh, China uh, teaching and training teachers on best practices of the English language profession. And before that, uh, in Korea, I was in Korea from 2008 to like 2014. And for a little bit of time in between China and Korea, I lived in Oman for five months, which was amazing and beautiful and awesome. I love the Middle East. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, it's it's amazing. But yeah, South Korea is kind of like, you know, my second home and uh, China. 
I, China was a, I call China, it's kind of like the beautiful beast country. Like it's just this amazing country uh, to be living in. And I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed living in all my countries, all the countries I've lived in. I think total, I probably traveled to yeah, maybe 40, 45 countries. <laughs> so you've used the passport very well since then <laughs> oh, yes I have been exploring and journeying well <laughs> are you from a family of like do your family like to travel in general or is it or is it sort of you've paved the way for the rest of the family yeah a, a little bit of both uh they're adventurous people themselves so like they they come they came to Korea um I'm sure they would have come to Oman China was a little bit different getting them to come over uh, working for the State Department that I really didn't, ha- I couldn't invite them on my own. So China was a little bit different, but they, they've they come to visit uh, various places that I've been in. So I, uh, I, I definitely hope I've paved the way. Um, <laughs> oh, it's nice that, it's such a nice thing to do with families, to have that experience of um, different cultures and experiences. Now, do how is your languages? Can you speak the niceties in Korean or um, Chinese or how much language did you learn? Yeah, so uh, in Korean, uh, so I, I have sort of like a language stew going on in my mind at any given moment. <laughs> but uh, Korean would probably be uh, my strongest language. I can still read and write in Korean. And so, you know, that's half of literacy right there. <laughs> um, so I, you know, it would be easier for me to like pick Korean back up than it would be for me to like learn everything in Korean that I know in Chinese. Uh, so I would say that I'm more like survival Chinese, like basic Chinese level, uh, which with uh, Chinese and with Korean, I'm much more like conversational. Um, I, think, I think that's very good. I've learned Chinese for a long time and I learned that um, I don't know, I don't know it very well at all. But as my husband, my husband thinks I'm tone deaf when it comes to languages so that I don't get the tones uh, very well. So sometimes when I'll say thank you, he goes, oh, no, I don't think you meant to say that. And I'll be like, oh, OK, because <laughs> it's the it's, it's yeah, no, it's a challenging language to learn. And the Chinese that I learned to speak when I was living in Southern China was not the same as the Chinese that they spoke. <laughs> the dialect, yeah. From, from, from Shanghai. So it was just, you know, it, it's a curve and, you know, you just keep <laughs> But it is lovely. Now, listen, what was your specialist area for research? You know, I know I read that it was interesting because student needs analysis and best teaching and learning practices. But what other areas did you manage to research? So academic writing is where I'm a subject matter expert uh, at. So basically, uh, my focal area was in taking the cognitive apprenticeship model. Not sure if you're uh, familiar. So basically modeling, coaching, scaffolding, articulation, reflection, and exploration for students. And I applied that approach to a final year uh, project course. So uh, every student, pretty much every student in the world uh, has to do these research proposal in order to satisfy graduation requirements. Uh, But you'd be surprised at how many universities don't offer a writing course that helps students to complete their research writing proposals. Uh, So basically what I did was I took that approach and I applied it to the steps necessary or the chapters necessary in order to write a research proposal. Uh, So I was focused in that area for several years. So I've done a lot of different research on uh, how to improve student uh, academic presentation and writing styles for academic writing proposals. 
But I imagine it's a key skill for anyone learning to do it research. Is. It's a key skill. And if you don't know how, process, you lose a lot of subject matter. The research process is a key life skill. Anytime that you make a decision, it should be based on a researched position. So asking the question, solving the problem, gathering the information, you know, sifting through the information that's important, the information that's not, making your decision, reporting on the results, evaluating that decision. We are supposed to make these decisions every day. Like we didn't just start to assign students these research proposals because we thought it would be fun for them. It's because it mimics the critical thinking and problem solving processes that you're supposed to consult every time you need to make a good choice in life. So it's not, it's it being able to represent yourself well in that way and uh, to put everything in, in such a concise way that you can be understood. That is an exercise of the mind. That is something that everyone is supposed, that is a skill that every, everyone is supposed to be able to solve. So yes. it really is. <laughs> it is really is a key skill. Did you find it different? Say, for example, if you're de- teaching different cultures, so if you're teaching in a Western culture or if you're teaching in the Chinese culture for critical thinking and problem solving, did you find mm-hmm. that there was, naturally they've come through different systems in education. Did you find it was different? Absolutely. It's more of a, a, a passive education. We're talking about, Active education versus passive education. Yeah. Right? We're talking about sit and be lectured versus here's an activity, create something. Yeah, that's very true. You know? I suppose that's where we come from, media education. We look at very much an active, so sit and create it, and then you get the right. cognitive development, even from a young age. So we always right. we always chat about play-based learning, and there's a lot more going on. So even that right. cognitive thinking when you come back there. But listen, they're not gonna no, let's not go off on a tangent, but I'd love to know your inspiration for founding three LLC education consulting. Service. I, I wanted to turn my service uh, into something that my students could use. Um, and also that small businesses and higher education institutions could use. Uh, I want to create equitable education courses. Uh, as a service for students, as well as public and private stakeholders. So I was inspired just by my ability to turn my passion for education into a business and for that business to be able to serve people with the highest quality possible. Oh, that's amazing. That's really nice. Do you do you find where is where where is everyone located? Are you doing it global or is it mainly the U.S. now or have you gone back over to Asia? Uh, So it. It really just depends. (laughs) It really just depends. As far as uh, like my team, we're all over the world. Uh, The team that I built 3LLC with, they were all over the world. And as far as students, uh, I would say it's more so Ohio. I have a lot of Ohio students and I have a lot of uh, my Asian students from South Korea (laughs) in my courses. Is it doing face-to-face or is it all online? Oh, it's all online. So my courses are asynchronous. So all of the all of my uh, courses come with um, instructional videos, scripts, uh, quizzes, practice activities. It's all built out uh, into the courses. Students are able to book one on one coaching sessions uh, if they would like to. And students are um, required to participate in both the uh, summative and formative assessment in order to receive certification for the course. Have you found, say, for example, you know, lecturers, 
have come to you too to do the sort of look at the critical thinking and the problem solving to do the research um, modules with you or even sending their students over to you to say hey maybe you need to do this have you found that that's one of the areas that come to you quite a lot yes because that's what we end up consulting on a lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> so let me hear what i want to hear more about the framework so the framework for three llc and see education consulting and services that you've implemented you know is it mainly you did someone come to you and just say you know what these are the issues that we're having at our university or our higher education we're in Singapore and our students don't know how to research or design thinking or I come and say you know we need something better for our, our entrepreneurship or anything like that would you be able to do that or is it just specialist area of academic writing no it's uh so it's Pretty much, I, I work with subject matter experts from all backgrounds. Uh, so I have a friend who is a banker who wants to teach 21st century business banking skills. So I'm doing a short course with him. Uh, I have a friend who has a PhD in emotional physical therapy. So she wants to make an extended course from her book uh, that she's already published. Um, I have uh, work with universities that their courses that were already, you know, kind of put up on Canva. Uh, they didn't really meet any instructional um, standards or principles, meaning the videos were 40 minutes long or, you know, the, <laughs> the questions didn't. And I mean, like they, these are instructional design principles. You can't have a 40 minute video. You can't have just an annotated PPT. You can't have like you have to have a script. Oh, hold on. What's PPT? And oh, is that PowerPoint? That's just an. Yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah, okay. just a, like, just. <laughs> That's not that's not where we are. That's not interactive. No. That's not engaging. That doesn't involve your student in the learning process. They're passive in that experience. So really taking the material that is available, or if I have to do the research. Uh, normally with any course, we ended up we end up doing at least 10 hours of research anyway, just to see what's out there and what's similar and you know what sort of the industry standard is, because we also have to, if you the client isn't able to be their own subject matter expert, then we need to find one in order to build the course. Oh yeah, absolutely. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought about doing anything with AI? So making it interactive. So I always think I've got a 11 year old and a four year old. When we went into home learning to say, I'm just, you know, or even university students, I think they would have had mm -hmm. a lot more fun in their home learning if they had like a, you know, like a metaverse, like their own animation. They literally like wore, they were doing it instead of from Zoom or anything like that. They had artificial intelligence or even, you know, virtual reality. And they were just, they were actually like um, in the screen with them type thing. They were on the screen with them, with their classmates. And that's how they had, rather than looking at a screen and listening to the teacher. I just think that'd be such an amazing thing. If you can do that, that'll be wonderful. I'll get my school onto it straight away. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> like they're all sitting, wouldn't it be great? If think about it. When they all went home and started home learning. Virtual lecture, like yeah. actual virtual lecture. Yeah, but like you could, you know, design, they'll probably be designing their all their clothes more than that actually. The avatar, yeah. Yeah, the avatar <laughs> in the metaverse. But it would be a lot more yeah. fun if we have to have to go on this have to do it again maybe it would be something to look at um but that's a little bit off track <laughs> no look, you talk about creating access to equitable education opportunities for public and private partners how do you elaborate mm. on this like what's what does that actually mean it just means that real life skills right so for public partners these are our students 
These are our customers. These are the students that sign up for our courses. So every six to eight weeks, we come out with three to six courses of our own. Uh, so whether those courses are social responsibility courses or writing courses or math courses or finance courses, we're going to be rolling out those courses every month uh, here at Duke. Great. Uh, so that's what we have to offer to our public stakeholders. That's what we have to offer to them. Now, for our private stakeholders, this is more so for subject matter experts, like you said, instructors, mm-hmm. higher education institutions, small businesses, government organizations. We can offer them as well onboarding solutions in the form of online courses. We can also offer them things like trainings, employee trainings. Uh, We can also offer, as I said, to higher education students, just custom courses, custom standalone writing courses. Or as you're saying, with the academic learning and the research papers. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, it's such a, it's, it is a very necessary thing because you find when you do university and, you know, when you actually do university yourself, there is skills that you've missed out on in between, whether it's being at college or high school. There's not enough time. no, and then you come to university and, you know, you're expected to understand everything. And you're like, oh, actually, I've never done that. We didn't do no, the Cambridge or Oxford way no. of, you know. Right. There's not it. enough time. In, no. in the amount of weeks allotted in a semester, broken down by credit hour, broken down by study hour, there isn't enough time. There just isn't. No, and then it's up and to, you to actually include, do it as well. Yeah, that doesn't include holidays. That doesn't include, you know. Like there's just not enough time to no. master these skills. It's no, just I can not. Put, I can put, you know, when you master it by the time you've done your undergrad and then you go to a master's and then when you're ready for your PhD and then there's something else that you need to master. So. Learn, yeah, you have to learn a whole new caliber of writing. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I suppose here's a question for you. How does the US education system compare to the Asian, the Asian education system that you worked in? How do you feel it compares? I think I see a lot of the... I I can definitely say that my Asian students were more motivated. They know that, you know, they're one in a billion, you know, true. they they know like it's, it's, it's not uh, a touchy thing for them. Like they know, so they come prepared and ready and excited and they want to try to achieve and set themselves apart because they know that they have to. Um, My American students, (laughs) not so much. And I'm not sure if it is, you know, just the malaise uh, caused by COVID or if this was, you know, uh, you know, something that's just ongoing that has gone untreated. Uh, But the amount of motivation that uh, seems to be lacking uh, in the American students I've taught uh, quite alarming. Uh, I will definitely say that my when my American students did do work when they were motivated to do something it was always original it was always thought-provoking it was always creative it was always surprising how good their work could be their writing could be an original too yeah yeah my Asian students I could coach them to the brink of of writing it for them and it still wouldn't be inspirational it would be no. grammatically correct. It would be absolutely perfect. It would be, you know, it would, it would be amazing, but it wouldn't be original. But it's an innovation of something that's already there. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the ability to innovate. Yeah. The ability to innovate. I, I would definitely say, but that is a side effect of a passive classroom. Yeah. 
a passive classroom from a very young age. Yeah. I suppose and then probably, you know, yeah. take them in the classroom with, you know, teachers of every, you know, hue. And you're like, oh, okay, time for you to learn from the foreigner now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if it makes you feel better, I um, I lectured in Singapore, and we had very similar, a very similar experience. Eighteen to thirty-five year olds it was a very similar experience, to be honest. When it comes to, um, we lectured on entrepreneurship, and one of the things that we looked at is that I ended up saying, just don't read the book. You need to think about what it is. So, yeah, because they yeah. could give me the, they could tell me exactly what the book says, but that doesn't t- tell me no. that you know how to think. Yeah, and that's a critical that that is, and I, I will unequivocally say I enjoyed my Asian babies more <laughs> because they are so excited and they are so inquisitive, and it's fun to you know teach them. I, I would say that like I I definitely enjoy them more, but uh, like you said, when it comes to being able to be critical, analytical, to make a synopsis, to be yeah. concise. Like these are skills. Like these are things that you should, that they should have been taught and nobody has taught them this. Their research is beautiful, is perfect. Research is perfect, but it's not necessarily put on paper. They've done the research. They've gone through all the different things. But then when you come to actually well, making, and as you're saying, cognitive development, that if you look at a design thinking, I remember doing a design thinking module and it was really hard for some people, like they could not think outside that box. Here's the flow chart and the flow chart didn't say that. So I don't know where to go now. Like it was like, there was a process. Why isn't there a process? Well, there's no process here. This is you know, about mm-hmm. your thinking. So it was a really interesting one. Um, look, I suppose if you could see the current education system in the USA evolve, what would be the two areas that you'd like to see different? You can choose higher education or you can choose like elementary. For higher education, uh, we need higher education needs to come to scale. Uh, we need to let go of the antiquated lecture halls um, in higher education, and we need to adapt to the current learning, interactive engagement in environments that we're trying to create. Uh, I think that 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 is strangling the innovation in education. And especially in, in higher education. And I believe that ultimately, if we if what we in higher education do not adapt, uh, it's going to honestly be the death of the industry because we're not producing what it is we say that we're producing. <laughs> I suppose you've got people like now, you've got, you know, the, the big tech giants are now offering, say, an MBA or equivalent of and a, exactly. like Google or anything has all these different ones, whether it's an SEO or anything. And they've, they're branching out to education, to everything. So, I mean, you, and they're offering it. So I suppose lecture hall versus tutorials, the hands-on learning area. Yeah. Rather than. Coaching. Yeah. Coaching, mentoring. Yeah visualization mm. guidance feedback yeah Absolutely. lecture hall no lecture hall, no. <laughs> i suppose that's it maybe that's just so you, i mean look at the end of the day it's a it's a business needs to sustain so it needs to make money and yeah. so maybe it's to yeah. put more people within the the areas and then break them down into yeah. tutorials. Yeah. so exactly in that yeah. you know then you have to think of how that model would work if you did i mean you could do it through you could do lectures through our little metaverse that we're going to have, our our avatars, (laughs) (laughs) building things. Um, Listen, what would you say if if someone is looking at travelling overseas and going to, you know, a completely different culture? South Korea is very different to, I imagine, how, you know, um, you've grown up in the USA as well. So what, what would be one piece of advice that you'd have to someone? 
I would say uh, make your peace with being adaptable. If it is your intention to go to someone else's culture, understand that you are a guest uh, in that person's culture, in that person's country, and just behave as such and adapt. Uh, be patient, like pack lots of patience, pack lots of deep breaths, you know, understand that there is a learning curve and that you're going to have to be patient with some things uh, and just, you know, accept the experience for what it is, not for what, you know, you thought you saw on television, <laughs> because that's also because that's also a thing, like just go and be open and experience it for what it is. And I have learned uh, that pretty much all people want the same thing. They want to be safe. They want to be healthy. They want to feed their family. They want to be happy. People don't really, like normal people don't want a whole lot. And I think that that's what you'll find. You'll find that we are way more alike than you think that we are, no matter what cultural background. Natasha, it sounds like you've found something that you love so it doesn't feel like working and you can do it every day of the of your yeah. life. So which is and you can build something amazing, which sounds wonderful. Now I have to ask, what was the strangest thing that you've eaten between the cultures? Because I oh, always remember a hundred-year-old egg. Have you ever had a hundred-year-old egg? Ah, uh, balot. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> balot. Yeah. <laughs> the snake is that the snake's blood is that the snake's blood or the, no, the that, that is in in the philippines uh when they walk around the beaches with boiled duck eggs yeah oh i don't know yeah i think and, I just, what about the yeah. uh not the puffer fish oh did you ever try durian do you know the fruit durian I can sense smell that. <laughs> it smells, do you know what? It tastes better than it smells. Honestly, it tastes okay, but the smell is so overpowering. No one can stand yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's really overpowering for me. Now, I've heard that it's delicious. I, I believe it looks like it, it's probably really, really good, but I just can't get it near my face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely agree with that. But do you know what I've always loved about when, I, when traveling was just celebrating other festivals. So whether you're doing Diwali, yeah. whether you're doing, you know, the any festival Chinese New Year is amazing if you're yeah, there for Chinese yeah. New Year so you know all the different cultures that you can try uh, all the different festivals is so amazing I mean I grew up in Australia so for me it's really nice to see all these different cultures everywhere and different festivals and celebrations and I sort of love taking my kids even you know even if you look at um during Ramadan Eve and if you're in the Middle East yeah, there's just everything yeah, so different it's, it's lovely to see it's great it's great. And it's, it's a wonderful tradition to add to yourself. It, it's, it's great. Uh, I love living in Korea. I loved all the Korean holidays. I love, and then you pick up more than just the holidays. You pick up their culture, their wedding culture, uh, you know, their education culture, you know, their hospital culture. Like there's so much that comes, there's so much education uh, that comes along uh, with living in a different country. Yeah. I have to agree I, I with that. Now, listen, Latasha, if anyone's interested in either a course or just wants to talk to you about, um, you know, what can 3LLC Education Consulting do for them? So could you, how can they get in touch with you? Is there a best way to get in touch or even to look up your business? Sure. Uh, so my website is 3LLCconsulting.com. Uh, you can contact me there. Uh, also, uh, if you'd like to book a, a 15 minute, a free 15 minute consultation, I'll provide you my Calvinly link for that. 
as well. We also have Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. I'll provide all of those links uh, for you to provide uh, to your, your users at 3LLC Consulting. Um, and I also have a 15% off coupon code for our introduction to writing skills and our intermediate to uh, writing skills courses that we have live right now. Well, fantastic. So thank you so much, Latasha. It's been amazing to have you here today and just to talk about, you know, all the different things that you've achieved in your travel, providing education for all, looking at the different uh, courses and also the fact that, you know, it's an, ever, it's an evolving process and you're always developing new courses. You have it for a lot of different subjects and frameworks, which is amazing. So thank you so much. And we look forward to crossing paths again. So maybe we'll see, we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you so much, Have a, have a great day. There are so many exciting developments happening right now in education. EDX Education would love to hear from you, so do get in touch or subscribe to our podcast, which is available on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn, and so many more. This podcast series is brought to you by Heather Welch from EDX Education, as she'd like to say, let's create lifelong learners. 